We are in Third John this week, and then next week we'll do a, a Christmas message. Celebrate that incarnation. Last week we looked at a man by the name of Gaius, and uh, Gaius was a man of truth. Uh, he walked in truth. He showed an example of how one lives in truth. And the topic really was hospitality and how he took care of people, visitors that came in from all over, the travelers. And uh, so he was a, a stalwart in the church that he was at as he walked in that truth and demonstrated what it's like. And that was like eight verses that we looked at, most of it dealing with Gaius. And uh, we see whenever God presents examples to us, it's something to uh, behold and look at and say, hey, I want to be like a Gaius. I want to be able to walk in truth and love like he did. And so that should spur us on. It's always nice to have uh, those good examples. Well, in the same epistle, we also see another man who is pulled apart from this Gaius and also another man um, who we'll meet who was a very good example in, in his walk. His uh, name was Demetrius. And we'll see him later on in, in this week that we uh, look at. Um, but the idea of our diatrophies this man uh, is a man of pride, uh, and he wanted to be first. He actually hindered the work of God. It's about attitude, the attitude of his heart. And it uh, was not good because he wanted to be the preeminent one. He wanted the seat of all seats. He wanted people to pay attention to him. Prestige was what he was after. And so we see that very clearly. The line is drawn between a servant in the first eight verses and then this Diotrephes who wants to be uh, noticed. Vastly different. Uh, so he's, he's the opposite of Gaius. And um, matter of fact, he not only rejects uh, John, the apostle, uh, he rejects any of the people that would become uh, the visitors, they would come to the church to, to teach and preach and share there. Uh, this man is a bad witness. He's not a good witness of what we have seen presented already. Um, so anyway, he, he actually rejects people who serve Christ. And that is sad. And so John has to address this. And so we're going to examine him first as we uh, look at this switch. Now we have to remember that the gist of this letter is about hospitality and uh, how Gaius has shown how that works. And we saw in Second John that that was uh, uh, an overarching theme also. We're to be available always to embrace faithful people of the Lord whenever they need support. We're to be servants of them. Uh, Diotrephes is the opposite in that faithful servants are brought to them and he actually spurns them. He refuses to help them. And he kept others from helping them. That's what's amazing, that he wanted to keep other people from even serving them. What a contrast as we look at that verse 9. So we've seen an example of graciousness and compassion by Gaius. And now we're going to see an extreme example on the other side of ungraciousness and uncompassionate, unhospitable, um, the way that this man is. So with this backdrop, John addresses the whole big problem, or this big problem, in the church at the time as he writes to them. Early church, and all of this same kind of stuff that we look at that was 2,000 years ago, many of those same problems happen today. Because man is man, and sin is sin, 
and those things can uh, enter in the church, and it's about pride and loving self. And when that happens, then uh, things go haywire. So we see how John actually is going to handle this situation, and he does it rather well as he's inspired by uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Why don't we stand and let's read verses 9 through 15. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Father, as we look at uh, the rest of this epistle, uh, may we be guided by your Holy Spirit to know further what your truth is and how it can apply in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we've done 1 John, and then we went into 2 John, and we did that, and now we're into 3 John, and we're completing that one. So we have uh, speedily done these little postcards. But they're very valuable. They have a lot of information in there and what was happening in the early church and what can uh, arise in even the church today, whether it be false teaching or whether it be all sorts of different problems or how we're to um, be uh, walking in truth and love. Those things are really good, really valuable. And again, John is black and white. Either you're of God or you're not of God. And that's the way that he uh, approaches this. Now, uh, we start in verse 9. I wrote something to the church. He had written something to them. But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, that's a key phrase, among them does not accept what we say. Somehow this Diotrephes put himself in uh, a position. We don't know exactly what that is. I can't really say, is he an elder here? It doesn't say that he is. It doesn't say he's a, a teacher there. But he's in some kind of a leadership position. Uh, he took advantage of this. He put himself first. Um, maybe when it came to business meetings, he just took charge and took the bull by the horns and did it the way that he wanted to and didn't care about anybody else. Uh, whatever it is, we know he rejects authority. He rejects the apostolic authority. And there are men who, were, who will reject godly men, men who will reject faithful men, and uh, men who are respected, and they want to do it the way that they want to do it. And they don't care about anybody else. So they reject. He rejects an influential one. John the Apostle, I find that rather fascinating that he would do that. Um, All for the people who are faithful and for the cause of Christ, and uh, he intervenes in that and and rejects these guys. Now it says, uh, I wrote something to the church, some kind of, uh, maybe a letter that John had written before, maybe Diatrophes had seen it, has written to to the church. We don't have that um, necessarily. at least that's the way that most expositors say. Sometimes when you get into lines like this, you're going to have different variances. And I don't get into all the different arguments. And it's not a, we don't have to waste the time on that. I think certain things we want to key in on. But um, he did had written something. Diotrephes loves to be first. 
And the word there for love is phileo. And that's a strong affection for. He really has a strong affection for to be first, to be preeminent. And the word there for to be first is pro tuo. Pro meaning first, right at the top. He wants to be the preeminent one. Uh, he loved to be first. Now, he's not loving. He is not compassionate, but he sure wants to be first. And that immediately takes you to what Jesus Christ had said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And we see the opposite of the way that Jesus taught us. He taught humility. And uh, this man is on the, the other end of that. So he has a strong affection. Uh, and he loves to be first. And this is like in the tense that uh, it's an ongoing pattern. It's, it's an attitude. It's a constant way of thinking. That's the way that he is. It's not just a couple of times that's the way he is. It's, he's just an ongoing uh, attitude that uh, he continues to have. Now this can be an ongoing thing also. This can be common. Uh, throughout the age of the church. It can be common in, in our day-to-day. Um, people can um, kind of get into a situation on, on their own. Somehow they arise in the church and uh, they take a position that is very prominent. They want to be preeminent. They're looking for that and they want to um, call the shots. So there are people who have, on one hand, not had success, maybe on the outside, um, Maybe they've never been ahead of anything or any kind of leadership. And churches are always looking for people to serve, to be able to do things, to edify, and, and people have gifts, and that's the way the church works, and that's the way it should be. So when one, somebody wants to be able to, to uh, help edify and do things in the church, well, we're always willing. Hey, as a matter of fact, we're desirous of that. We, uh, we want to encourage them to uh, come on in and, and give a hand. But... Um, a lot of times when people see that ah, they haven't done anything out there, but all of a sudden they can get into the church and do things and they move themselves in without really uh, any gifts of the Spirit, uh, or at least uh, for what they would be doing, other than having the motive of prominence. And so in one sense they find themselves, hey, I can get involved in this and I can, I can be somebody really important. I uh, can't do it out there, but I can do it in the church because people are always willing for that to happen. On the other hand, you have professional people that are very good at what they do, whether it be in uh, business, uh, maybe uh, let's say they uh, have some kind of leadership, uh, they have a very prominent role, or uh, maybe they're a great teacher in, in elementary teaching or high school teaching, and what have you. Maybe they're a professor at a seminary. Or, uh, at a college, let's say. And uh, just because they teach doesn't necessarily mean they can teach in the church, though. Do they have that gift of teaching in the church? Even though they can do that, people would think automatically that that would be what it is. Uh, just because they have that professional realm. They've done so well in the secular field, so hey, let's move them right into there and put them into that. And that may not be necessarily true. It could be. Maybe God has gifted them to do that. Maybe, maybe not. But... Anyway, that's what can happen. A, pre- a professional achievement should never be just the reason, though, that you'd want to promote someone into a, a spiritual leadership, even though that could very well be. So anyway, this guy has an ambition. He has an ambition to run this church. And there are people that maybe they're not elders, but they have a position in the church or they have been there from day one. 
and they think that they are the the ones who save this church, and they are the ones. Matter of fact, this is their baby, as I've heard uh, a man say before. This is my baby. I built this church, and boy, when I heard that, kind of scared me because I'm thinking, ooh, what does he mean by that? And I, of course, you know, he had the propensity, I think, to uh, kind of try to run things the way that he wanted. And uh, that's dangerous for other people uh, in, in leadership, and especially when you have pastors. And young pastors come into churches today and, and fresh and ready to bring in the, the Word of God, true uh, preachers of the Word. And within a short amount of time, if you have a diatrophies, all of a sudden things can happen uh, in a negative way. Because maybe um, the preacher is preaching too convicting to this man or these people that would be a, in a position that diatrophies with uh, his uh, same kind of ambition. Well, guess what? That pastor doesn't last very long. And you hear this story over and over. I've heard it many times, uh, just, just real recently, within the last year, two years, five years, ten years. Uh, I've seen other pastors just move on and have to go someplace else. And uh, good pastors preachers of the Word of God, but all it took was one of these kind of diatrophies and uh, they just voted that guy out. And that's sad. Uh, we hate to hear that. And that I'm telling you, I, I, I've heard this just time after time after time. It's, and it's saddening. Uh, and the reason is, is that um, those people run them out because they have their own agenda. They have their own way of running the church rather than a biblical way. They run it the way that they want to. and It's, it's their organization. So, that is the same kind of thing that was happening back then, that is happening now, always does happen because of the sin of pride. Uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis said, pride is the sin that made the devil the devil. Um, there's a sense of pride there. Satan you know, wanted to be like God. And, of course, he was cast out as all the other angels were. We see them as demons. He brought forth temptation on Eve and showed her that she could be like God, knowing good and evil. But the thing is, that is the problem. That is always the problem. That's the root of all of our sin. It's our own selves. We need to die to self. Forget yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. And that's a hard thing to do. Because the flesh does not want to forget self. And we may be Christians for a long time. Maybe we've been there for 10, 20 years, 30 years as Christians. And yet we're still fighting the flesh. We're still fighting that pride. And, and it will be there as long as we're in these bodies. But uh, we want uh, the Holy Spirit to come in and just rip out more and more of that fleshly pride. Uh, let's go back to uh, let's go back to Daniel chapter four. Here was a man who was uh, a king of maybe the greatest nation at that time. Daniel four verse twenty eight. This was an empire. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he is walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. 
The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great? Isn't this the great empire? Look at this. Which I, well, here we go, myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever He wishes. And immediately it says that Nebuchadnezzar was cast out and put out in the field seven years. Uh, That is amazing. Look at my power. Look at my majesty. Look at what I have built. As he looked at this great empire, as he looks out from his palace. And uh, that is an example of great pride, isn't it? God had allowed him to get there and then God took it away from him. Immediately it happened. And he's like an animal out in the grasslands for seven years. Now, find that interesting, what God did with pride there. Uh, we know ultimately that there's a good news to that as He gives glory to God after that time. And uh, you see that uh, a few verses down. Go to Matthew 23. And these are the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus addresses those in Matthew 23. And when you think of the scribes and the Pharisees and all the leadership of the Jewish system when Jesus was there, um, you definitely see pride. Look at verse 5. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. So Jesus lifts a stunning truth to these men that considered themselves to be the leaders of the nations and He says you want to be noticed by men. And you do religious things, broaden those phylacteries, make yourself look holy on the outward part. They love the place of honor. They love those chief seats and they love the greetings when people call them rabbi. They encourage that. And we see there that uh, Jesus just characterized what the Pharisees were all about. Boy, what a condemnation. That's an incredible uh, condemnation through that Matthew 23 as He unveils where they're really at in their hearts. Woe to you! Right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Whitewashed tombs. Jesus said that. Another uh, matter of pride is found in the book of Acts. These are extreme amounts of pride, we know, but this is the same kind of sin that we battle even though it's not as... uh, up front, we try to maintain um, some sort of humility as we fight against this selfishness that we have. 
And here's Herod in Acts 12. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Wow, that's quite something. This man puts on his robe, takes his seat there, He's delivering this address and the people are shouting out how great and wonderful He is and He's a God. And uh, He doesn't tell them to stop. He actually was believing in Himself as He was in that position. God actually had granted a position to Him. Nobody can take leadership without God permitting, allowing that. And uh, so he can lift men up and then he can take them out as quick as he brings them up. There are matters of pride. Jesus had great teachings on humility. We look in Philippians 2, which is the epitome of humility. This is what Jesus did. And if we want to look at how humility really is, this is a good place to be. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty good one, Read That is an excellent reason because Jesus Christ is our example. Who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. That's a beautiful passage on the humility. Oh, we want to strive for that kind of humility. He gave Himself up and was obedient to uh, the Father uh, all the way to death. And uh, that was the way that God had planned it out. That is supreme humility. That's the uh, Christmas story right there, isn't it? We could do a Christmas message right there. Uh, that's <coughs> incarnation. What... Uh, what he did. Look in John chapter 3, verse 30. And we get a man by the name of John. Another John. John the Baptist. And the Gospel of John tells us about John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist recognizes that hey, uh, this is Jesus Christ. Uh, here people are asking questions really concerning about Christ. And uh, in verse 30, just in a nutshell, he says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase. I have to decrease. We continue to decrease. The more we lose ourselves, the more that we find ourselves blending in with who Christ is. Dying to self. It's not only a one-time thing, but it's a constant thing. When we become a Christian, we have died to self in, in one sense. We're now new creatures. But there's another sense of an ongoing dying to that. Uh, by the grace of God is uh, the only way that that can be, but that's part of sanctification. And if we would only remember that, I want to die to self. When something ugly rears up in our thoughts, 
we should immediately think, he must increase, I must decrease. I'm trying to lift myself up over this situation. To be a, and he says, no, decrease. Decrease. John the Baptist really uh, gave up quite um, much whenever he said that. And of course, he's trying to stay humble in the way that he dresses, the way that he eats, it's just the way that he speaks and his whole actions. And he did. He stayed very humble. Uh, the greatest of the prophets there. But yet, he's says he wants to decrease. He's the one that gets to introduce the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he knew his position was going to be steadily taken away as Jesus rose. And then he wound up in prison. And then he wound up getting his head cut off for the cause of Christ. He decreased because he sold out to the Lord totally. He was convinced. He knew who Christ was about. So, the path to greatness is decreasing and it's serving. I have to think of Matthew 20 where the reason that Jesus came here is to be a ransom. You'll remember that verse. In Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called them to Himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. You know that. You know what they do. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He gave Himself up so that we would have our sins paid for. Quite a matter of um, propitiation as He pleases the Father and then He takes our place. Um, We think of the atonement there and all the things that happened and we realize that Christ was serving us. This is for you. Isn't that great to know? It's all for us. Great grace. Look in First Peter chapter five. Peter learned that. See, uh, the apostles had a little bit of time to learn how Jesus worked, and uh, they first started following him, just like they were in the flesh. But it's amazing when they were filled with God's Spirit how. Things changed in their lives. Up to the very night uh, that Jesus was uh, going to be arrested, we know that they were concerned about who was going to be the greatest. Greatest in the kingdom. They were arguing about it. And uh, Of course, remember that Jesus showed the uh, matter of humility whenever He... What? What did He do? He washed their feet. Amazing. And he knew that they had been arguing about being the greatest. Me, 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 me first. First Peter. Now here's Peter who had kind of had a lesson to learn throughout all that. And later he did. He's talking um, as he writes this letter about shepherding the flock. Verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. 
Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. I think that's the prerequisite, isn't it? According to the will of God. And not for assorted gain, but with eagerness. Something you really desire to do. Nor yet as lording it over those who allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And then he says, there's a chief shepherd that's going to appear. And you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. But God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think we've heard that one a few times, right? So Peter really stresses that these uh, shepherds, these elders, should have the same kind of attitude that Christ had. And so... Uh, again, humility, a great lesson on that. What's the path to greatness? Being a servant. <clears throat> Sounds so opposite. And so many times the Bible presents things that is opposite that the way the world would operate. Have you noticed that? The more and more you find out truth of Scripture, um, it just turns everything upside down from what we first thought things were like in our own thinking, in our flesh. What's the prime mark of leadership? Well, it's not seeking to be preeminent. It's not seeking it out to be that preeminent leader, but seeking to be what? A servant. servant. That's greatness. That's greatness in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus did in His lifetime. And then, of course, we see the apostles as they continued on preaching that truth. Um, quite a lesson, I think, for all of us today, regardless of where we're at in our walk or how we're involved in things. Um, I think a lot of the in, in the time of the evangelical world today, as far as the whole body of Christ, um, especially I think here in America, um, I think sometimes churches can be swayed by people that have um, vocal personalities, maybe threats of power. I think diatrophies had this threat of power. Um, diatrophies sin is. This and he and he loved to be in a position that would put him up there. So I I think in our realm today that uh, this is very current, even though it's so old, two thousand years, and it's speaking to him. And we look at that directly and we say, okay, I can see how this applies to us. And each one of us, not just necessarily talking about somebody who's taking a position of leadership. We're talking about our own selves. Uh, dying to this uh, this pride. Now, what happens with this kind of attitude as we look back in Third John? And we're still in verse nine. <laughs> he loves to be first among them. Does not accept what we say. And this is John writing this, and he's representing. Uh, the church, that he's representing uh, the apostolic authority. Um, he doesn't accept what the apostle had to say. Now that is amazing. You know, we might we might all have uh, particular interpretations that we're not sure of. You know, there can be some differences, and that's okay. But here is the apostle John who is saying something, and of course, as he wrote things like like this, I mean, he's inspired by God's spirit, but. He walked with the Lord. 
and uh, by this time he's an elderly man, uh, there needs to be respect coming from this Diotrephes. And uh, so John says, whenever, uh, whenever I come there, I'm going to call attention to this matter. I'm going, I'm going to bring this out. Uh, and he's going to have to take his power away. I mean, it's going to have to strip him immediately. This man is dangerous. He was a manipulator. And he had challenged the very authority of the apostle himself. And, he would, and when you do that, you're rejecting the authority of Christ. Now, an apostle is a man just like anybody else, but when they had authority as far as Scripture is concerned, then they had that authority as far as the role in, in the body of Christ and that gift is concerned. Uh, this man, Diotrephes, has no humility. He thought he was above everyone else. He was above the law and whatever. He had a monopoly on power. And so, there we go. Uh, he didn't submit to the authority that he should have been under. And John says, um, I'm going to do something about this. Verse 10, For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. Um, it says here, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. Accusing us. I think you have to start with uh, the Apostle John there. He's being accused of wicked words, evil words. Uh, it's a malicious, a malicious gossip that uh, Diotrephes does. I mean, it's something that is uh, like water boiling up and bubbles come up. And, of course, when you have bubbles, you really don't have any substance there. You really have just air. They're, they're empty. They're useless. You know, bubbles. You know, there they are bubbling there uh, in, in this hot water. Uh, so, he was an empty person with useless talk as he brings forth things that are, that are not true. So, he undermines John, comes up with stories about John and, and rips him and he desires to slant people uh, to what he uh, really is. They want to slant him in, uh, in another way. This is the great apostle. And that was his goal. If he could slander him and make him look bad, then people would look more to him. So what pride does then, it seeks to pull others down and they rise above them. He wanted to rise above the Apostle John, which they had so much paid attention to. And so you can see what's happening as, as he does that. And instead of decreasing, what is he trying to do? He's trying to increase, increase himself for his own gain. I think of 1 Timothy 5.13, Paul writes to young Timothy, Timothy and he gives him some valuable information. says what to watch for in, in the church in this context. Um, verse 13. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Now, the context there are widows. And, um, they didn't really have uh, a whole lot of things happening and going on and they'd have time on their hands and they would go house to house. They'd go from one place to another and they would start gossiping. They'd start telling things about other people, maybe in the church, maybe their neighbors. Uh, but they're, they're saying things that are not proper to mention. Now, what's, what's the context? What's happening? Well, there's that word that's dealing with gossip. It's the, it's this, this malicious evil. It's saying things that are not true. Bringing things up that would cause harm to someone. 
And so that was, that was happening right there in the early days of the church in the first century as Paul has to write to Timothy about that. Uh, if we look in 1 John chapter 5, 18 and 19, dealing with this slander idea here. They think, boy, what, I thought the early church was almost like perfect and things just went smooth back then, you know. Look how close to their, they were to the apostles. And there you have, uh, in the case of uh, John or Paul or Timothy, and these guys have great teachers and everything's just perfect. Well, it's kind of like what today is, isn't it? As, as it goes on, it's, nothing really changes. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. There's that word, uh, evil. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So this is a, a big word here, really, that John is using as he brings forth this idea of evil, this evil gossip, this evil slander. Uh, as he continues to project it uh, upon this uh, one who has this authority, this diatrophies, malicious, evil. Pride wants to tear people down. Unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. That's not enough. Now he has the pride. Now he has these wicked words against John and probably others there. It says us. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. Not only does he cause a problem with John the Apostle, but the ones that are there uh, bringing the Gospel to uh, the church and and helping out in in a lot of ways there. Um, He keeps them. From serving. He forbids those who desire to do so. He keeps people from even bringing them in. He himself does not receive the brethren either. And the idea is there to hinder or to prevent them. Uh, Gaius, if we look back uh, the first few verses here, had brought people in. And he was hospitable. He let them stay at the house. He took care of whatever their needs were. and fed them. He might have washed their clothes. Whatever else that he could do. He was hospitable, uh, hospitable as he could. And he even got to the point that he was receiving even John's associates or the emissaries that were coming there. They were coming from John. And uh, so uh, I think that's interesting that he did not want to help them. And anybody who tried to help them, even Gaius was probably tried to, to, to at least be stopped by Diotrephes from having people come there. And uh, Diotre- uh, Gaius says, hey, listen, I'm not going to listen to that. I know what I'm supposed to do. And uh, he brought them in anyway to his home. So he didn't uh, welcome the brethren and he didn't allow others to practice hospitality to him. And what did it even lead to? Look at this. And he puts them out of the church. These godly, faithful men who come here, he would throw them out. It's kind of an interesting word. Ekbalo. And it means to throw out. Excommunicate. Uh, don't even fraternize with those false apostles like he would be saying. 
Don't take them in. They're false. Now remember, in Second uh, John, we talked about false teaching. First John, false teaching. I don't think John addresses Diotrephes here as a false teacher. It's not that he's bringing forth false doctrine. It doesn't even say that he's he's in a in a position of that. He could be, maybe not, uh, but probably not anything necessarily in a in a heresy matter. John's not charging that, but he's showing that this matter of pride that he has, and so he's saying, "Hey, those guys, they're they're false. You know, just just they need to get out of here." Um, now, John believes in, in in a discipline, but not this kind of discipline as Diotrephes starts kicking people out of the church. And they're faithful people. They're godly people. And uh, he just puts them out. And so that is not to be done. There is a reason for discipline. And just to touch on that for a moment, if we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if one has continued to live in a immoral way, for instance, that you would find in 1 Corinthians 5. That Corinthian church, we know they have a lot of problems, right? You, know, you can see uh, chapter after chapter it deals with that. This says in verse 1, it's actually reported that there's immorality among you. What kind of immorality? Immorality is such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. They don't even do this. That someone has his father's wife you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in the spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul knew what was happening. He had already advised them what they were to do. They hadn't done it. And they continued to do that. And he even says, you're arrogant in that. You're not mourning over this issue. Of course, the first thing starts with somebody, uh, if there's a sin, they're to go to them and, and talk that over. And if it doesn't work, then there's to be two or three witnesses and they go to them. And if that doesn't work, then they bring it before the church. And then you bring it before the church and nothing has happened. Then you have to put them out. That's the process that's prescribed in Matthew. And of course, that's what Paul is dealing with here, uh, how the Corinthians need to uh, work this out. And so we have to believe in church discipline. It's a hard thing to do and doesn't always work. But the motive is, is that they would be restored for the destruction of his flesh. I turned him over to Satan. Doesn't that sound terrible? Turn him over to Satan. But uh, where they were not under protection of the church any longer. Today it's a little bit harder to practice this in the sense that it might bring them back. It's for restoration. Uh, thing is, they just hop on down to the next church and they go there. And uh, you can even tell the other church, but uh, they don't usually um, listen to what you're saying. They just want to gain other members. But I think it's a serious thing if there has been a serious sin and it's something is not as done. That's uh, the, the process. That's how we keep ourselves clean as we can through God's Spirit. There's another one in 1 Timothy 1.20 as Paul mentions to the pastor there. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I have handed over to Satan. There you go again. So that they will, not, they will be taught not to blaspheme. They were blasphemers. That's affecting the church. We're talking serious enough sin that this has to be taken out. Um, 
Otherwise, it's going to affect everybody, and it's a, it's a disease. So that's, um, again, he's turning one over to, to Satan. Second Timothy, you see that again. What's the idea? There's an, a form of accountability, and there is a time of discipline, but not the way that um, the man here, Diotrephes, is doing. And so that's how he operated. The uh, Arrogance is, I think, where all of this starts for uh, him. And then it produced what? Uh, such an ambition. There's a good ambition. There's a drive that God gives us. A desire that we have to do. And that's good. We, we need to have that. But his kind of selfish ambition then produced accusations and they were false and his accusations then led to annihilationism. Just destroy him. To get him on out of here. So he started out driven by pride and pride produced this preeminence that he had and this led to falsely accusing everybody else um, and then eventually he puts them out. And, uh, so, a serious thing here that was happening. Um, rarely will you ever hear of a church dismissing a pastor for poor preaching, although that, that might be an issue, but you don't usually hear that. Why that, why'd that guy go? Well, the guy couldn't preach the Word. You don't usually hear that. Uh, or you don't really hear it about poor living, for instance. You, you might hear about that, but uh, that's not usually the case. Um, but it's always seems like to be some kind of power struggle. Who loves to be first? And the way that some churches are set up today, the, the deacons are considered to be the elders. Maybe they don't have the, uh, the qualifications for an elder, but they're doing the job that elders should be doing that, are, that we find in uh, Timothy and Titus. And you look over those qualifications, those are very important to, uh, to know. But they're put in positions of power and their vote is extremely powerful. And if you have one man who controls all that, then he's going to be able to do things in there that um, can cause all sorts of problems. And that's why some of those pastors go. And um, that's what can split churches and destroys ministries. And uh, there could be a lot more said about that. That's not the issue. But we look at this attitude of this diatrophies. And they're all over the place. They're everywhere. And uh, those are people... Ultimately, they're not committed to God's Word. That's not what they're about. It's about themselves. Now, we get to shift and look at something a little more positive. You, know, you hate to talk about the bad stuff. You know, my, you know, my inclination would not to be bringing up an issue of diatrophies. Why do I have to touch that? You know, let's move on to Demetrius and let's see a good example. Well, God has in His Word, He's got a lot of bad examples that He puts forth in the Old Testament and New Testament of saying, okay, here's how not to be. These were written for our instruction and and examples for us, right? Here's what happens with these guys. But then He says, now, look at this. Look at this Demetrius. We've already seen one who is Gaius. What a great example. What a great witness. What a testimony. And that charges you up, doesn't it? Well, Demetrius is going to be mentioned in 12. In verse 11, that's where he's moving to here. Beloved, don't you like John? After he's talked about this man here, he said, boy, that's a harsh attitude, John. Yeah, but it's the truth. Uh, but then it says, beloved. And that kind of uh, brings things together here. Do not imitate what is evil. Well, that's pretty easy to interpret, isn't it? 
what we've just seen is an example of evil. He says evil. Not just a, there's a bad example. He says it's evil. It's malicious. But what is good? That makes sense. And here is John in his black and white way. Do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Well, that sounds right, doesn't it? Clear as a bell. The one who does good is of God. One who does evil has not seen God. So, if you do good, you're of God. And if you don't, you're not of God. I mean, that sounds like what John has done throughout uh, his epistles. And here again, he makes it very simple. That's, uh, it just comes down to um, saying, okay, this is a blanket statement, but this is usually the, the case. Still have to use wisdom there, but... There's this third character now. Um, Gaius had already shown hospitality and he needed to continue to do it. Diotrephes is a man who refuses to give hospitality and he refuses others to give hospitality. Can you imagine that? And then there's one who is going to receive hospitality. This Demetrius. And he would be doing that and he gets quite a commendation from John. John gives a testimony of this this man because he says he has a great testimony. His testimony is true. Here is one in particular I want you to receive and his name is Demetrius. Yeah, I know about Diotrephes. He doesn't want to receive him. He doesn't want to bring him in but I want to tell you this man I want you to receive and if you receive him you're not going to be imitating what is evil but you're going to be imitating what is good. He knows he's a faithful brother in the Lord. And what's going to happen is you're going to give evidence that you truly are uh, are of God if you operate in that way. Um, it says, don't imitate what is evil. Don't follow diotrephes. Follow, imitate, uh, same kind of thought there. Don't mimic evil. By the way, the Greek word there is a word that we'd be familiar with. The word is miniomai. Or mimic. How we get our English word. Remember those? That makes me be reminded there was a machine called the mimeograph machine. You remember those? Some of you are going, what? <laughs> the old time copiers, right? Yeah, I remember those in grade school. And that's the kind of copies you get that have this kind of funny kind of ink on it and then it rub off. and It's on slick paper, I believe, right? Mimeograph. But it was to mimic what the real thing was there. Choose the right model. You know, here's something evil, here's something good. Which one do you want? Oh, that's an easy. Thomas Brooks, uh, the Puritan, said, Example is the most powerful rhetoric. Thomas Brooks is saying, You can tell by what someone says by how they live it. And again, that's something uh, simple, but it's very profound because. the example will back up what we say. What we say we do and say who we are. So make sure that you choose a right model he's putting forth here. Demetrius is a man who has honor. He's a man held in honor. John says that we're to hold him in honor because of his good testimony. He's received a good testimony from everyone. Wherever he's gone. And from right here, where we're at now, uh, and where he's going to, and and that the church there, uh, he has the truth. 
And John then says, we add our testimony to what everybody else has been saying, that this man is really a godly man. And you know that our testimony is true. You know what we're saying is right. So if we're saying this, we highly commend him, bring him in, take him in. Now that's upbeat, isn't it? And no matter what Diotrephes does, you bring him in. He's okay. He's good. He's a good example, a Christ-like example. Diotrephes? No. An evil example. Um, about following. About mimicking uh, people. Paul said to follow me. Follow me. Come on. It's just like going up a mountain. You know, doing a, uh, maybe a, a trail. A path where they've not ever gone before. And uh, the leader says, just follow me. Trust me. Watch me. You know, wherever I go, you follow what I'm doing. Um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. You know what the word for followers there is? It's imitate. Be imitators. Imitate what I, uh, what I do here, Paul is saying. Um, be imitators of me, even as I am an imitator of Christ. That's the idea. In Ephesians 5.1, he says, Be ye therefore followers or imitators, mimics, of God as dear children. So when we speak of imitating, following, um, see the, the role model. There are role models that God gives us. And not only are we following somebody else, and God has given us 2,000 years, not only of the, Jesus and then the apostles, but then we can look through church history and see men of God who we can also follow. We read their writings and, and it helps us understand anything that can help. Uh, you can think of Augustine and Luther and Calvin and uh, Whitfield and uh, Jonathan Edwards. And, uh, you can move on and on. You look at all through the, the Puritans and John Owen and... Thomas Brooks, Thomas Watson, and uh, then on up into the times of J.C. Ryle and Charles Spurgeon, and then the men of our time, that some of our favorite teachers, you can go on and on. Those people are good to follow and to mimic. And then there are people that you are around, that you follow in, or, or that, uh, in the church. You, know, you, you mimic what they're doing. You're learning from what they do and how they act. So not only do we do that, but guess what? We also have people following us. Every one of us is following somebody. Also, there's somebody following you. Somebody is looking at your example and you say, come on. Look, here's what this is right here. and uh, Let's do this. Behave as we behave, right? And uh, Boy, that's um, rather humbling when you think about it. You can say, well, yeah, Paul can say that, imitate me, but I'd never say that. Well, we should be saying it because that means we have somebody we're discipling and we want to help them along. Hey, look at this. Look at this truth here. And use this, right? Consider one another, says in Hebrews 10.24, to provoke unto love and good works by your example. And John is saying, here's an example of a man who's been honored in God's work. It's Demetrius. Don't ever estimate, or I guess you can say underestimate, the example that you have to other people? Because believe me, people can see Christ in your life. And um, I think that's a, that's a key thing to remember that um, I want people to be able to follow me 
to God's truth. Uh, the people who are examples to follow um, are not always the ones up front. It's the people in the back, the people in the middle, the people, you know, it doesn't matter. All of us are not only followers, but we also should be leading people too, right? Leading them to Christ, leading them in discipleship. And that's the idea. We want this kind of witness. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. What an example. The person who does good is of God. And we see that uh, they are to be imitated that uh, do good. And we have people that are following us. That's what we want. So, Demetrius. John says in verse 12, he received a good testimony. You received this man. He's okay. He's gone out for the sake of the the name. And we we end this letter. I had many things to write to you. Well, I have a lot of stuff I could write. But I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. I'm not going to write anymore because I want to see you in person, mouth to mouth. But I hope to see you shortly and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. See, he knows them. They they know him. There are friends there. He says, greet them by name. I mean, this is a personal aspect that's involved here. And he says, I can't wait to get to you in person and um, just to be able to to see you. I want to come and see you. Uh, What a friendship that they had. What a fellowship that they had. And they had peace in this church. Peace be to you, John says. So that's how he closes out this letter. How important uh, the friendship and fellowship is. And when all said and done, we ask this question. What is my life for? What will it be remembered for? A Gaius helped God's work. That's what a, a kind of an individual he was. Uh, a Demetrius honored and was honored in God's work. And then you have the Diotrephes who hinders God's work. We want to be able to what? to help out God's Word. And so, that is the end of 3 John, and that's the end of our 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And uh, we will embark on um, our Christmas message this week, and uh, then we'll see what uh, brings us to next time after that. It's been a blessing as we have been able to share in God's Word. Let's... uh,